Welcome, welcome, welcome back to another episode of the USL show. Um, listen, we're we're a little uh, short staffed today. Um, well, it's a little bit more than actually last time we were here. It was just me and John last time. Um, this time we're missing a few people. Um, Alan has uh, got a pretty cool gig on the way. We'll we'll let him share that news. Um, Geo has decided to go to Greenville and has decided to big time us now because he's a part of a front office or whatever. Um, Phil, you know, has been like, I feel sick, uh, whatever. And uh, Tyler is now famous, so he's too big for us now. So whatever. Actually, not all true. They don't all hate us. Um, <laughs> look, we're, we're really excited for this episode. It's time to talk winners and losers of the offseason. And is that really a good thing? But before we get too far into that, I need to know, Ryan, in a new place. Well, old place. Old, new place. Ryan, how are you? I'm doing okay. Uh, this month, I realized that I have run for 75% of the days of this month, including the equivalent of three 5Ks. So kind of getting back into that kind of fitness grind. So that's been a good way to start the new year. Nice, nice. Not me, but hey, I'm proud of you. <laughs> Thank you. John, man, how you doing? Yeah, I feel like it was two, three months ago when I complained about my ceiling in my bathroom leaking, and it's happening again. So <laughs> I'm, dead in, I'm dead inside, but I'm here to talk about losers, to take that energy and project it onto everybody else. When it rains, <laughs> it pours. Yeah, very literally. <laughs> I mean, if you listen carefully, um, the truck is getting some rain on it. So, hey, it, we're going to call it ambient sound um, <laughs> or something of the sort. Um, look, look, it's time to talk about winners and losers. And John's already kind of kicked off the day. If you want to uh, read about who the worst uh, players in the league are, or they could be young. Um, there was no distinction between the two. And I like to fill in the gaps with myself. And so can you. So, but. Look, we need to talk about winners and losers. And so what about winners and losers, right? Winners and losers is all relative. A team who who just stayed stagnant could be considered a loser. But if it's a really, really good team who, you know, maybe won the league or made it to the finals last year that appeared to be stagnant, keeping a core around could be a win. Same thing as before, a team who was god awful but their roster looks like they could maybe squeak into you know uh sixth or eighth position and make the playoffs that's a major win even though they may not be title contenders it's all relative but when in doubt if we say your team's a loser it's because we hate your team um you're specifically or a specific player on your team it doesn't matter we don't judge on what we hate we just hate them all um so I just want to go ahead and have the hate flowing. And I want to start off with one of the losers because there's only three of us. We all get two losers and two winners each. And I just want to kick off the it show. Um, the biggest loser to me, and there's no question across league one in the championship who it is. Pittsburgh Riverhounds have to be the biggest losers of the freaking off season. What have they done to get better besides get worse? <laughs> So I just want to slide in real quick. We didn't discuss who we were going to be picking and sort of just going to let this be a free-for-all. And Kegler stole my first pick immediately. So I'm <laughs> guilty already. But please continue to make this case because I am with you. I mean, they've they've done 
nothing. They've done absolute jackal. And, you know, Harry comes in and says, we say this every year. That's so not true. Last year, they signed Dane Kelly, and we said they might win the championship because all-time leading goal scorer. This year, they lost all their production. Russell Cicerone, gone. You know, they've lost other guys. Um, Forbes, I think, came back. Um, Dane Kelly is, you know, missing in action. Somehow Robert ruined him. I don't know. Um, and then you have other guys like uh, yeah, Alex now is in yeah. Chattanooga. Every single player that really gave them real numbers and gave them real contention last year is gone. Well, the thing of it is, I know we're making the case that sure, Bob Lilly is going to pull out these signings last minute. Last year at this time, he had already inked six college kids with pretty good resumes. He had the existing core with Alex Dixon, who's gone. Danny Griffin, who's gone. Even last year, midseason, they brought in Robbie Mertz. You're seeing no activity. All they've done is get Joey Farrell from Phoenix. And I think Joey Farrell is awesome. He's a great defender. He was also the core of a Phoenix team that couldn't defend to save their lives last season. So that's a question mark, even if he has the talent. This team has, I think, 12 players signed as they start preseason. It's, it's very much a what are you thinking? And they're going to get some players as MLS camps break and uh, the people vying for those end of roster spots end up as free agents. But the losses they've had just don't add up. And, you know, I think part of it is also a little bit of this fatigue. Um, and the whole, you know, Bob Lilly thing. I Legion had their own rivalry with Pittsburgh. That's getting really fun and intense. And I'm willing to accept that I'm heavily biased in this equation. And I'm going to pull the old, you know, technicality. But Bob Lilly is considered to be this wonderful goaded head coach when he hasn't technically won a playoff game since 2019. I mean, yeah, they made it through, but technically a PK, whatever. PKs don't count as wins or losses. I still think that's stupid. Um, but if he's so good and he can just pull it out of nowhere, if him being really good is them finishing in fourth, what are they going to do with a a bang average team or I would even argue a really bad roster? I don't know. I mean, I think we're kind of getting to the point where I uh... – Probably he's becoming almost the Jose Mourinho type manager of the league that he'll have that history and that pedigree of success. But it seems like at some point the game is starting to kind of pass him by and he'll kind of go to these clubs and still have this kind of level of success. But if it's not going to work this year in Pittsburgh, I just I don't think it will ever work in the future and it might be time to potentially move on from Lily. I mean, you may say that as sacrilege compared to his success within the league of the past few years prior to kind of the Pittsburgh sin. I mean, we all remember his Rochester team. It just, uh, yeah, this team is just, isn't as inspired as Riverhound teams as the passes being that really frustrating opponent to prepare for. No one tell pony that we've, we've been saying this by the way. No way. <laughs> <laughs> All right, John, who you got for your loser? Yeah, I'm going to take it a step spicier than you, but I think it for a similar reason, pick Detroit City, who is a team that made the playoffs, had a very promising season, has a manager that people like to trust, and has done absolutely nothing this offseason. 
I think that the addition of Adrian Bilhart is okay. He's someone who's shown a lot in League One, certainly. Uh, Simonson from Loudon could be a decent creator, but like you're taking someone who by default had to get assists because Loudon wasn't just not going to score. All the while, Carl Wilmette, Brad Dunwell, Pacho Botello, most importantly, Antoine Hopeno and Declan Wynn have all left. It seems like Devon Amumensa isn't going to be healthy for opening day, so they've got essentially two and a half center backs, depending on how you slice it. For a team with such a good fan base that really built up a lot of goodwill in their first season, I expected more out of Detroit City, and they have not lived up to it. I, you know, there there's still a lot that I can say with the year they had, because, I mean, they you know, they can pull out the same argument of, oh, well, you said this last year, we weren't going to be good last year, and I understand that argument. I genuinely do. But they've also had a year to get their feet properly wet. You know, they they started the year awesome. Then, you know, things started getting really hard, and then, you know, they started picking it back up at the end when guys started getting healthy again just a little bit and or you know, people started really finding their footing after injuries happened and they were just kind of tossed in. I I just hate the lack of transparency from Detroit City too because, I mean, we've seen uh, Trevor James now be a wonderful, wonderful coach and all the, you know, all the spicy stuff out of Detroit City camp is that he's not entirely the happiest camper on earth with the lack of signings that they've been able to bring in so at what point does Detroit need to look in the mirror and just be like what are we who are we because if they want to just be another loose city where or whichever team that says hey we're going to put half of our roster be academy kids I'm so in on it I am beyond in on Detroit City becoming a next like we're going to play our kids but they have not shown that initiative yet in the USL Yeah, it's. Uh, I think this year could certainly kind of be a rude awakening from Detroit City from uh, last season. They had ended up in the playoffs, and even all of us here at the show were saying this should be a playoff team at minimum entering into the league, but I think it's going to be a year of growing pains for Detroit City of getting used to just kind of a more high-caliber league, and the East has gotten much better this season. You're seeing the improvements from teams who are outside the playoffs looking in and including Hartford, Indy, and Tulsa, it just it's going to be more difficult for Detroit this year. Yeah. What about what about your uh loser, Ryan? I'll do this for uh Phil's benefit. I know he was saying it in our group <laughs> chat, but uh since he's not here to complain, uh El Paso Locomotive, I think, has just kind of been a really stagnant team this year as far of a loser going that uh I mean you're looking at players such as Evan Newton and Andrew Fox, who are both high minutes earners last season who have both exited the team and just the people that they've brought in just it doesn't seem like they're kind of really replacing it with very just kind of high quality talent and this was a team that really had their ups and downs from last year they had those high scoring games and then just it seems like they still kind of had their own falters behind the scenes and down the stretch that it i don't know it just it doesn't seem like it's really a uh like productive offseason that they've had you know um 
<laughs> Alexander uh, put it in the chat of they Detroit City wants uh, he wants to see Detroit City run a four six zero. I mean, at this point, if you look at if you look at El Paso's roster and you really just start diving into it, they very well could be running a six man back line. They have so many defenders, and one of those six being a goalkeeper. That's actually just a defender because they don't have a single goal, single goalkeeper on roster. They no, have Paso has two now. Hmm. When El Paso has Javier Garcia's and Benny Diaz. Oh, when did yeah. they sign them? Oh, that's totally last only. week, two weeks ago. Yeah, oh, I totally I mean, missed that. But both um, of them are fourth tier goalkeepers, if you ask me. Uh, is it because they're young or bad? Do you tell me? Um, <laughs> <laughs> they're gonna go with the strikerless or shadow striker formation. No striker at all. It's gonna take the league He's, by storm. <laughs> everybody's a shadow striker when shadow when strikers are playing in the shadows of themselves. Um, hey, Doctor Benji made it work in a save with Darby County, so it could happen. That was such a good save, too. I loved that save. Um, but seriously, I mean, El Paso is I, I feel like last year El Paso came around and said we weren't doing the defending thing really well. We were really good at generating chances and offense. This year, maybe we should figure out the defense and become more balanced. And on the and then just like the seesaw, they just went from one to the other. I I don't know what the plan is. I I just don't understand. If you look Sign at Dan Kelly, yeah. But if you look at their strikers, though, I mean, Lucho Solanac, uh, Josue Aron Gomez, those are two of the better forwards that there are out there. Solanac is money. Sure. You're betting on the health with just having two pure strikers. I think the thing for me is that their defense is so unproven at this level. Eric McHugh was meh in Houston. I think he had a stint with RGV. Yuma's getting up there in age. They've got a dude from Hungary who was long rumored to be joining OC. Like, he's fine, but he's coming from Hungary. Mark Navarro is the one guy they brought in. I think he has La Liga experience. He's certainly going to be a good addition, but that's like one and a half center backs that are going to be okay for a manager who runs the back three pretty solidly, according to the work that Phil's done. So even though they're deep at the back, they might just be bad. And that's probably worse than like the alternative. So I'm not sold on anything they're doing. And by the way, the manager just had one of the worst seasons in the history of Swedish football. So what are we doing here? Yeah. I... And to be fair to Gomez and uh, Solignac, they both combined for uh, 22 goals last season. So they yeah. did generate offensive production. It's just a matter of can they repeat that this year and can they find goals from outside of that? It was Solignac and uh, Dylan Mowers, who since departed from the team, were the only ones who had double digit goals on the season. But here's the thing is that Hutchinson was all in on the attack. Everything he did was attack to a massive detriment. Evan Newton was getting booed when his manager didn't know how to use him. He kept playing him as a sweeper keeper when Evan Newton just does not have that in his pocket. He just doesn't. And I love Evan Newton. I love everything about him. He's a wonderful shot stopper. He's a good distributor, but he's not a sweeper keeper. And Hutchinson was hell-bent on making him one, at least for those first three, four, five games, which led him being booed in a place where I didn't think that would ever happen to one of their players. And now what? 
you have, like John said, unproven defenses and scraps left from another from another coaching regime that was doing whatever they were doing just to generate offense, even if that means whatever you have other games that are like the Las Vegas versus El Paso game. While nothing was that extreme, everything was like a mini version of that game. I mean, there were 11 times last year they conceded multiple goals in a game. And like you mentioned with that Las Vegas El Paso game, that wasn't even the only time they conceded over four goals in a game that year. Just ridiculous. Um, You know, I did have – I want to just – because we want to – I wanted to start off the episode just kind of spicy. Let's, but since we're going to go through a rotation twice, I think what we do is we sandwich the good, and then we end with the hot takes again. That way, hey, it's all about that engagement. People keep you here longer or something. But we also, I can't just say this angry. I just can't. Um, to me, I'm going to. Well, no, I'm going to go with a the easy winner. I feel like I went with the easy loser. I'm also going to give myself the layup. Ah, no, I won't. No, I won't. I won't do that to myself. I'm going to go with the controversial winner. I'm going Las Vegas lights. Dude, the winner that they you, just I named teams. This, yeah. I saw you tweet this the other day and I could not believe the take. I fully believe this. And I, Okay. A, I want to say props to whoever their PR person is for trying to hide Andrew Carlton as much as humanly possible. Uh, you are not getting paid enough. Whoever the PR person is, you are not getting paid near enough money to try to hide that. Um, so good job, Ish. Um, proud of you. Um, but look, I mean, uh, Pato Faz, uh, Faz, he's just, uh, again, one of the best players in the league last year. One of the one of the, you know, just leading goal scorers for Detroit City. And frankly, I think he should have had more opportunities if he was playing in a different system. I mean, Detroit City was very counterattacking, and, you know, he did pretty well in that role. And if for some reason Las Vegas wants to continue what they've done in years past, counterattacking is what they did last year. Um, yes, they lost um, Danny Trejo, Cal Jennings, which are two of the best strikers in the league. But when you look at the actual base of this team, of yes, including Andrew Carlton, even though he wasn't that great, he's still a good USL talent to me. Um, I hate saying that. Um, Yeah. (laughs) I mean, Justin Ingram was really good last year. Andres Jimenez has been really good. Um, you know, we have Zach Carroll, who is a solid, you know, player, very serviceable, which is more than you could say about really any of the defense last year from Las Vegas. As a balanced team, as just on the overall balance, this is one of the best rosters they've had. They just happen to lose two of the best strikers you could possibly ask for. But overall, this is a much better roster, a massive improvement for what they were. Make that the big winner going from what they were to what they are. That's a big win. And I unironically think they'll make the playoffs comfortably. I mean, any team that has zero players returning from last year to then naming the amount of players that they did is obviously a winner of improving upon. Just name someone as we were kind of begging Las Vegas Lights to do at some point within 
the offseason. But I guess the always concern is obviously kind of replacing the exiting talent of Jennings and Trejo, but is you're bringing in a whole new roster and it's going to take time to have all of these players just kind of gel together. And that's just kind of be a concern throughout the entire season that you could have a very talented roster, but if these players have never played together or have never just kind of been in the same form with each other and like their opening six games next year, doesn't do them any favors starting all on the road, including the fact that they have to play San Antonio, Memphis, Miami, and Indy 11 in that time, they could have a very slow start to this season. And that's a good point. Um, go ahead, John. Yeah, I think there are a couple pieces that you hit on that are really high potential. Certainly, Pato Batello is a, a fine starting forward in this league. I've spoken a lot about Ingram, and Carroll is a pretty consistent center back. The thing for me is that the pieces... So you're starting with the core of three, what, above average-ish USL players and surrounding them with a lot of unproven pieces. The average age right now is 23, so they're very young um, I did like the two that they added from the Tacoma Defiance Seattle Sounders system just because they're used to an exciting, high-pressure kind of system. But I think overall, the lack of experience, the fact that you've got a manager who was with Las Vegas at one point, kind of did poorly, missed a year, now he's back. Just the lack of continuity, the general sense of disorganization. There's a lot of factors that are giving me pause, even if some of the names are pretty good players right now. And, you know, I do think that's a completely fair assessment too. And I just, you know, you mentioned the average age of being 23. I mean, think about how much lower that age came down just simply losing Deckel Canon from that team. I love that guy. <laughs> I love him. But also, dude was like, what, 43 years old? I mean... <laughs> <laughs> this is actually a good point because I feel like they were actually way younger last season just because it was LA's kids. So I I just think that this is a team that if it hits well, that they can really, really make a you know push this year. Um I I think that it's also a, a good thing to try to get rid of everybody from a, a system of losing. There's always this big thing, and I've said this a lot that people always want to make this big thing of like, well, we brought back all the old guys, all the old guys. They all know each other. We're bringing back a good core. Well, your core sucked. <laughs> that just means you brought back suck. And just off of just getting brand new faces everywhere, win, just win. I'm going to just go ahead and throw it over to you, John. Who's the biggest winner of this offseason? Well, so even though we're missing Gio, we're missing Tyler, I did want to throw a little bit of League One love out here. And I mean, this is about as slam dunk as it gets, but you got to shout out what North Carolina FC is. That was my layup. Season. That yeah, was my like, layup, yeah. So admittedly, this team was horrendous last season in League yes. One. I mean, as bad as you can imagine, allowed goals for fun. And then they decided, we're just going to add three players from the all-league team. So you're getting <laughs> Louis Perez from Tucson, RIP Tucson. Uh, Maldonado from <laughs> Forward Madison, and then the center back Daniel Navarra from Chattanooga. Crucially, bringing back uh, Garrett McLaughlin off top, uh, Central American international Nelson Flores. So you've salvaged the pieces that were useful in a bad team. You've kept a coach with a vision to carry over because you believe in that and you believe in the culture of a club that historically has been decent in League One uh, beyond the operation of these last two years. 
And then just doing what you're doing to add elite players in the League One context, I don't know how you argue against what they've done this offseason. Yeah, I mean, I I do appreciate uh, NCFC just saying we have a good attack and we have a good attack. Um, you know, Tormenta and Richmond, I guess, kind of exceptions to the rule because they were the two most successful teams last year. But going defensive does nothing in League One. Uh, the folks out of Walking 90 made that point last week that there were teams last year that tried to go defensive, that they wanted to build that team off of the defense, and that's just what they did. And those teams got smashed last year. Um, I League One is all about chaos, and there's nothing more chaotic than a high-flying offense with a really freaking good midfield. And, you know, just like every other team in League One, we might talk about this later on the other side of things, uh Chattanooga they they had one of the most hit or miss offenses and attacks that you're going to see in league one and their entire team got freaking poached um so I mean when you're bringing in high quality attack like that I mean it's I love what uh North Carolina did I mean, they clearly saw an issue from the 30 games they had in the league last season. Only 10 of them that they scored, they managed to get multiple goals in that game. And they didn't win all of those games that they scored in multiple goals. So it was clearly an issue from that team that they obviously did the best they could this offseason, to say the least, to figure out. And it's going to be a team to really kind of watch for this year. And just one more point, um, they were at negative 11 goals saved above average last year. No one else was lower than six. They brought in Tor Saunders from Chattanooga. Nicholas Holiday, who's somebody to watch in goal, 17 years old, was up for save of the week, I think, five times last year, spent the offseason training in Germany. So they've got options in net now. They've just corrected pretty much everything that was wrong. It's been an unabashed win for them. Yeah, I mean, Nick Holiday was a guy two years ago that uh, he's the keeper down in Miami. I always forget his name, but he was the one that punted the ball at children at the Greenville Triumph game. Um, after yeah, he yeah. got after he got suspended by the league, Nick Holiday comes in at a at an old age of 15 years old and then suddenly starts performing. I think for a lot of us who were following around the league at the time, we're like, hold on, wait a minute, this kid might be something. Training out in Germany, getting some real deal professional experience with, you know, some European top flight coaching. Yeah, I'm really excited what they, uh, New York or New York. Wow. I, I was thinking uh, North Carolina. I'm getting there, people. Um, yeah, just thinking about all that wine I'm consuming from Harry is um, it's already doing it to me. Um, I love what they did. I just absolutely adore it. How about you, Ryan? What's uh, who's your winner? I have to go to uh, the Tampa Bay Rowdies this offseason. I mean, not only like we had mentioned signing Cal Jennings from Las Vegas this past year, but they're getting the band back together and getting Forrest Lasso back into a USL team, back with the Rowdies. And it just, it seems like it's a team that's really, they did some kind of self-evaluation from last season and it just, 
that year wasn't up to the standards that we expect from the Tampa Bay Rowdies, and they're really making a push for this season. And you're looking at the number of players that they signed. I, dare I say they've had a more impressive offseason than a team such as Louisville that you would expect to uh, just kind of still be that tie that side to really push for the Eastern Conference this year. And they really start the season uh, with a chance to really impress. I mean, they play Charleston twice to start the season. And it's really giving a chance for the Rowdies to be that uh, just kind of that return to form that we all expect Tampa Bay to be. I think the Louisville comparison is interesting because it's very much a contrast in what they're trying to do with their team building. I think last year was really the big summer for, or I keep saying summer, off season, winter. My calendars are all confused. <laughs> <laughs> but Louisville brought in a lot of young players. If you think about Ray Serrano, um, if you're thinking about like Manny Perez, who's not the oldest, Wilson Harris up top, they're sort of investing in youth. And as you mentioned, Tampa Bay is running it back and playing the hits with Forrest Lasso, a, a really proven quantity in like a JJ Williams, for instance. Ariel Martinez is like 36 years old and he'll get some real minutes in that midfield. I think that from the win now perspective, Tampa Bay is deeper than any team in the league. They have a lot of flexibility tactically. I do think that losing like Jake LaCava, CJ Cochran, Robert Castellanos in the back line is kind of a big deal, but they've more than replaced it. So they feel like a winner, even if the, some of the names are big that are leaving. As the president of the Jake LaCava fan club, um, Tampa Bay is finishing last. <laughs> if only he knew who I was one of these days. If him and Nick Moon just one day just said, hey, man, thank you for being the president of our club. Um, that's all that matters to me. Um, <laughs> but anyway, yeah, no, Tampa Bay, I mean, as as someone who's a fan of a team in the East, horrified, I think, is a is a great word. Um, when you are doing – I'm not, just imagining the – just the physical – side of the game let's not let's just forget about the talent but just think about the physical bodies here of cal jennings jj williams and forrest lasso all in the box makes me want to throw up like <laughs> uh -huh. it's stupid they are they're a team full of skyscrapers they're going to out muscle just about everyone in the league it's it's going to be really interesting to see what neil collins does down there because the big issue you have when you bring in all this talent is you got to play it all because you have to balance some egos. And he's been pretty good about it in the past. But also, you don't want to just rotate and get people out of form because you need to balance egos. I, I think that's going to be the more interesting storyline to see if there's somebody who unceremoniously just gets dropped or if the team starts getting on a bad roll because they start rotating too much. That's what I'm watching out for with Tampa Bay. They do have, I mean, if I'm going to play devil's advocate, the back line is a little bit slow. They don't have a ton of proven players in the wide areas. So they're going to be very narrow. They're going to be dependent on controlling possession and not giving up counters. I think Connor Sparrow in that context is a really big addition in net just because he really is the salve against that, where he can make those amazing saves against a breakaway. But 
there are some question marks in what Neil Collins does to get these people to cohere in a really solid way. Yeah. Um, let's see. I guess, is it me? Is it my turn? You betcha. Yeah. Oh, man. I can hardly keep up. Um, so I, was, I wasn't really sure where to go with the next winner, but I, I feel like this is another fairly simple layup and I'm going back to league one and look at one knocks. Yeah. I mean, what they've done in taking established league one talent, established championship talent. And, you know, some people, I mean, <laughs> I think it was a uh, Yogi uh, from walking. I had them as high as second. I don't know if I'd put them that high, but I really like what they've done. And even if all they do is make it in the playoffs, that's still a major accomplishment. I really like what their head coach has done. He has brought back players from every facet of where he's coached. When he was down in Mississippi, Bria, he's brought in a couple, a couple of players back with him to play that style, even back from 2018, including his former goalkeeper, Jordan Bell, who's the assistant coach. So that has a lot of, you know, just uh, chemistry between the two. Um, going on, whenever he was at Des Moines, they have a lot of, they have a few players that came from there as well. And now with One Knox, they brought back their original captain. They Their first signing was a One Knox player who knows the community, who knows the area. And then they've sprinkled on top of really good League One talent and some really good championship talent too that I'm a bit surprised decide to quote unquote drop down the level. I love what one Knox has done. Um, I am super excited to see how it comes together. I'm going to go ahead and throw in the caveat though. Uh, this is the first time their coach has ever played a, or has ever coached a full professional season. He's only been a league one slash PDL guy. That is twice the amount of matches that you need to prepare for. And decision fatigue is real. And I will, I'm really intrigued to see if that has anything to do with it or if he's just going to let the talent go after that system gets put in place. You're just speaking to some of the names that they brought in that championship fans would be familiar with. Uh, Sean Lewis in net, who shockingly is in his 24 year old season who feels like a seasoned veteran he's fantastic uh Ilya Illich certainly is well known I mean one of the better creative hold up forwards that you've got out there um for League One people Jake Keegan obviously is a good forward I've been very impressed and you mentioned this Kaylor with uh, Jordan Skelton and Jalen Chrysler uh at center back both of whom were in the 90th percentile or better by my player evaluation model in League One They've just got a really good spine. My playoff uh, predictions have them sixth in the league and getting into the postseason in their debut year. So I think they've really made every correct decision so far. And not just that, they start the season with four of their first five games at home, and you have uh, a chance to really make an impressive mark on the league, hosting Lexington to start the year to basically kind of establish yourself as, hey, we're the expansion team to be on this season and just kind of really impress across usl uh i am so stoked for the lexington uh knoxville 
rivalry. You would think that as close as Chattanooga and Knoxville are, that would be the big rivalry. But don't underestimate the hatred that the University of Kentucky and the University of Tennessee have for each other. I love everything that they're doing. Um, as a kind of juxtapose, go over to you know Lexington. I'm not going to call him a loser and say that, but mm-hmm. it's really interesting to see how they're being built. One Knox is all about, and yeah, League One Update or just put it in chat now. Um, they're all about winning now. Um, and Lexington is for sure building for the future with a couple of pieces to compete now, but is competing necessarily winning now. You know what I mean? I mean, I could see Lexington, you know, deciding to, you know, just going through and bringing in unproven college talent and winning it because that's just the USL in general, bringing in unproven guys and no one had it given a chance. And then they go on to win the league, but it just feels like one Knox is just winning the offseason. Quick note, Lexington-wise, um, huge fan of Don Smart, bringing in someone with a lot of experience across the USL. Uh, I think Ates Diouf and uh, Soen Kim in the midfield also, two other players who have proven Big so and Kim across fan. this level. He's great, yeah. Uh, I mean, people know the name Peter Wolf, certainly, because he's founded basically every team in the Midwest, but... He specifically brought in Soen Kim when he was uh, dealing with forward Madison as one of their first players. So I'm big on that. Uh, Tertiary, though, League One Updater in the comments. If you are not familiar with what he's doing, website, podcast, analysis-wise, check that out because it is fantastic and essential if you're following League One at all. If you're trying to get new into League One, by the way, yeah, League One Updater, um, we have League One Review, and then Walk In 90. If you just put those three into your feed, you're going to be essentially an expert of League One. So mm-hmm. cannot recommend those guys enough. And uh, League One, uh, League One, The Rocks. I have never know how to actually pronounce it. League One on The Rocks, basically. They also do a good job, too. I really love what they watch or what, love what they're doing, too. John, is your other winner? Yeah, I feel like I just had to go homer with this, so I'm picking Indy 11. And I think it does make sense when the headline names that they're bringing in are Cam Lindley, Sebastian Guanzati, Aiden Quinn. These are players that are going to be competing for all-league first team if things go right. Even beyond that, someone like a Jack Blake coming from San Diego. He's a title winner with Real Monarchs. Gustavo Rissi. I think I'm higher on him than anyone else in the world, but he should have been all league in Austin. Even like a Yannick Odell, who uh, came in on loan to Hartford last year on uh, from the New England Revolution and played net. Everyone that Indy has brought in has been really logical. The players that they cut were past it or just simply not up to snuff for the most part. So I think if you look at what the team is right now, the starting 11 is pretty much flawless it can compete with anybody in the division and there's absolutely no depth depth behind it. And that's probably my holdup right now, but if they stay healthy, they can execute the Mark Lowry system and really get this team back to contention. And so for me, that's a win after a couple of bleak years. I, I don't want to spoil anything that Ryan is going to say. So Ryan, I, I, I want you to give your comments first, and I'm going to ask a question, okay? 
It, it seems like Indy is certainly uh, finding their footing after a year of transition that they had last season. And it just, it seems like the club is kind of taking that next step forward. And like we had mentioned, it's someone and like Camp Lindley coming in, Jake Blake, or Jack Blake at O'Quinn. Those are like highlighted it players, which is a history of success within this league. And it just, it seems like we're going to see an Indy 11 team that's going to come back and just kind of be that net, just be that usual side that we always expect an Indy 11 team to be. Here's my question, Ryan, and I'm not trying to change the subject of Indy, but it has something to do with it. Who is going to be your last winner? Just wondering real fast. Charleston. Okay, that's what I thought. <laughs> I am so I was between worried. the two, yeah. I am really worried that Charleston, Hartford, and Indy are all great on paper but are just going to be average in play. We should hit on this when we get to the Charleston conversation. Yeah, because Indy Indy worries me because we've seen teams in the past build these all-star teams. And you know what? If you want to look back at 2018 uh, FC Cincinnati, who was, I think, the last proper all-star team, they did go on to set the points record, which was promptly smashed the next year. But they, they did well. But a very veteran team fell apart, and I'm really, really concerned that's going to be Indy. But like you said, crushed this league. They crushed this league. It was a it was a good looking T photo. Before. I think I want to push back on the whole idea that these are just like 2019 All Stars. If you look at Asante and Guinzati, maybe they're past it. But Kim Lindley is fresh off an All League season. Aiden Quinn was just about the only good player in Phoenix last season. Um, you've got Gustavo Rissi, who's in his mid-20s. Yunus Burati, who had the breakout campaign in Hartford. They're bringing up young talents. Alan Torres had a decent year in uh, Madison on loan. He'll get into the rotation with this side. Ekris Revolorio, you probably haven't heard of. He's like 19 years old as a fullback. He got some good minutes late in the year. They've got enough of a mix that pending the addition of a couple depth pieces to fill out this team, they feel pretty solid in the playoff. So I know I've got the rose tinted glasses with the 11, just because of who I am as a human, but I'm buying what they're selling. And I think that I'm more sure of that than Charleston with some reservations, but definitely Hartford. Yeah. So sorry, Brian, go ahead. Yeah, uh, I mean, and I think the it kind of just goes back to our discussion that we had at the start of the podcast of just saying, you know, it's like what to us is kind of winning and losing the offseason. If we're comparing the team against other teams within the league, then yeah, there's going to be some teams who just don't get it right this offseason. And we're going to look back and say, it's like, why did we doubt them this past year? Or it's like, why did we put so much faith in them? But there's going to be some teams that I think that are going to look improved compared to what they were last year. And that's a win for the club and a win for the program. And I think that's something the Charleston battery is going to be this upcoming season. Sure. They may not be that kind of overall playoff team. They may not win the East, but this was a team last year under Connor Casey that just looks listless at times. They just looks like there wasn't a plan there wasn't like any tactical idea or mindset. And they, I think they have a person in Ben Pyramid who's now forming Memphis East right now in Charleston and to really just kind of like a, a path forward and just like have an idea or like just a, a 
focal point to just kind of build a team around and just try and see what they can do to kind of improve this year because it's not going to be an easy opening seven games between Phoenix, Sacramento, Tampa Bay twice, Hartford, Tulsa, and Louisville as their first seven opponents. So this could be a very slow start for the Charleston Battery, but I think they have at least a path forward for the program. Yeah, I mean, this is this is where, you know, like we said, everything is all relative, right? Um, John mentions Tulsa. What Tulsa has done this offseason, I'm very high on. Mm-hmm. Um, and a team that's probably not going to get mentioned, but I'm extremely high on, is Loudon. Um, is Loudon, I think Loudon's going to sneak into the playoffs, finishing 7th or 8th. And that's a major, major win for Loudon. Right, but that's relative with Charleston. What worries me is, and this is something that we kind of talked about behind the scenes. I don't know who the creator is going to be in that midfield. The the attacking pieces look good, the defensive pieces are about to look really freaking good. Um, but that said. A lot of the players that we say, well, Pyramid's bringing the crew uh, from Memphis. He's not bringing the crew that made Memphis great, though. He's bringing the subs, yeah. Yeah. And by the way, if you watch the subs that came on for Memphis last year, they weren't always very good. I, I feel like people are excited about Pyramid, and they should be. He is one of the best, and you can make a strong, strong, strong argument that he was the best um, manager in the league last year. But I also want to be hesitant for Charleston fans and just say this is an improved team, but I don't think this is going to be the championship winning team that you might think it is. A couple of points, sort of mixed thoughts on Charleston. I think you raise a really good point about the quality of the additions where Everyone has just pointed to Charleston and said, A plus, amazing job, you've brought in the All-Stars. And I've certainly been guilty of that, but Emilio Icaza is probably without a doubt the most talented player they've brought in. And the entire burden of creation is gonna be on him. He did the job with RGV certainly, but like Andrew Booth was up and down last year and he's gonna be the secondary creator in that midfield. They don't have a number six to clean things up. They're a little bit inconsistent when you think about the right back spot. Trey Muse is decent in goal, and he's an upgrade over Joe Kuzminski having a really kind of terrible season last year. But can he be one of the upper echelon goalies in the league with a up and down midfield in front of him? It remains to be seen. So everyone is putting a lot of trust in Ben Pierman being a magician. And I think that's ultimately where I'm going to land as well, but it's not a sure thing. Yeah. But again, like Ryan said, this is all about relative, right? Right. And making the playoffs relative to Charleston being I'm, I've said this before and I, I know what the table says, whatever, but Charleston has a real case of being the worst team in the league last year. If matches were 80 minutes long, New York Red Bulls uh, to finish kind of not high up, but a lot higher than they did because 
they would they would win or they would lose points so often in that final 10 minutes. That was ridiculous. Charleston was just bad all of last year. Um, Hartford is another team that looks really good on paper, and I believe in what they did. But we talked about this a while back, and their addition of Matt Shelton, that, Sheldon this week, or today, I guess, um, it's good. But also, Charleston used him as a center back all year last year, which worries me with what does he have left in pace? What does he have left of getting up and down the field effectively? What we saw out of him last year was solid, but and you can definitely point to Charleston just being completely inept last year and say that's why they put him at center back. But it just worries me. And defensively, he's a good upgrade, but not enough to will Hartford into being this, again, wonderful title contender. Relatively speaking, bad team going to be a good team, major win, but I just don't know. Um, it's a multi-year rebuild, and hell, if Charleston's not the worst team in the league, it's probably a win. True. Very In true. terms of the Hartford point, just to touch on that, I was thinking a lot about what they're going to be doing tactically, what's the value of a Sheldon type of fullback this year, given his age and ability to get up and down. Ramos, late last season, depended on a formation that used one very defensive midfielder and then basically two number 10s and three very aggressive forwards. If you're getting five players in attack already, the burden isn't going to be on Sheldon to get forward and whip in crosses with regularity. They're probably starting Prince Sadie on that side, who's someone with bucket loads of pace to get up and down. And I think that's pretty much the perfect match to pair with Sheldon, someone who can cover for the fact that he's probably lost a little bit of that mobility. And then on the left side, if Hapano is going to be the winger over there, he tends to be a little bit more narrow, a little bit more of a creator who tucks inside. Ash Apollon can get up and down that flank as well. So there's a give and take to their lineup that makes sense. I've been relatively low on this team for a lot of the offseason relative to expectations. But I think I'm finally coming around to the vision of what Ramos has built in terms of the roster. And the upgrade of having a pure number nine in Elvis Amo is something that we probably haven't talked enough about. He scores goals for fun. He's really clinical. And this team sorely lacked for that kind of finisher last season. There are question marks in defense. I'm not a fan of Sanchez in goal, but they're going to be in the thick of the playoffs. And that makes them a winner by the standards that we're setting here. Yeah, and yeah. we had saw kind of at the end of last season, it was Tulsa Indy 11 and Hartford who were kind of uh, those teams that were on the outside of the playoffs by a fair margin to be fair against uh, Detroit City. But after Tab Ramos had been appointed Hartford boss, uh, how they end the season, there were five wins and that kind of down the stretch of the year for Hartford. So they were getting things figured out. And I would want to hope that after a preseason and getting Ramos's own players in that they would certainly be kind of competitive kind of going forward for this upcoming year. Yeah. I mean, I know I've obviously talked about uh, what we call the 2022 uh, USL champions uh, loud and United. Um, I, I like what they did. Another, I mean, just other winners. I mean, obviously throw it out there. Uh, San, San Antonio kept like mm -hmm. everybody, which is, 
again, what we said at the top of the show, if you weren't here for that, for teams that quote unquote stagnated, but when you stagnate and keep around the entire core of arguably the best team in USL history, that's a win. But I mean, by the saying, way, no, they also added Juan Azakar, who should have been first team all league. Like San Antonio, they got a Nico Hansen in from MLS in Minnesota, who, if you project his numbers per 90 to in MLS to the USL, would have been like a top 20% player in the league. They're scary and even scarier than they were, which doesn't make sense, really. But, you know, when we talk about teams that – when we say biggest winners, we can't just say every team that's a winner, right? Um, when it comes to how much San Antonio improved, it's increasing on the margins, right? It's really just raising up just that little bit higher, a little bit higher. When we talk about the biggest winners, we're talking about the just biggest leaps to leaps, right? And – most of the West, a lot of the teams, and maybe I'm being completely biased, and I know it's like, well, you don't know anything about the West, you dumb hick. You're right. I'm an idiot. But I will also say this. Most of the most of the improvements have come in the East. I'd say some of the biggest downfalls have come out of the West. Some of the biggest losers that we've seen in the championship are out of the West. Um, and I just want to go ahead toss this one out there because again, this is a layup, and I'm the host. I'm like the you're one stealing, who talks. You're stealing my pick. I know it. I'm so excited. Colorado Springs, baby. What is yes. you doing? Lose. <laughs> 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 just. I'm surprised that they didn't put out a graphic that said we're sorry again for the way that this roster has been constructed. I know you can't predict that Jeff Caldwell who, you know, he keeps getting voted for, like, save of the year, and they keep putting him in the bracket, and that's just a really weird thing to do, to just, like, keep putting his name in the bracket. I mean, he was the starting goalkeeper. I hope he has the – anyway. I mean, I know you can't predict that, but they lose everyone that had a heartbeat for them, and they've replaced it with some decent talent along the way. But when we get left with Aji Berry leaving right before the playoffs, that was a bit of a sour taste in the mouth of a Colorado Springs fan, but also just kind of USL fans in general. And this mass exodus of players that that has happened without real replacement, we could be sitting there thinking and saying, hey, you know what? Maybe Colorado Springs is the next Tormenta where they sell everybody for all the money in the world and they replace it with their own talent. And you know what? If I can, I can definitely, you know, eat the bug later if that's the case. But considering the fact that they don't have a freaking academy, doubt it. So yeah, Colorado Springs, baby, what is you doing? It's like what the Florida Marlins did, just minus the championship. <laughs> Third place in the West is their championship. (laughs) I mean, to be fair, if we're looking back through uh, Colorado Springs history from 2017 to 2020, they weren't a playoff team. This was two consecutive seasons that they were in, and it could very well just be a regression to the mean. One of the things that would kind of benefit them is that you're looking at their first five games of next season, and their opponents are El Paso, Hartford, San Antonio, Loudoun, and Pittsburgh. So, if they play up to a few of those opponents, not San Antonio, oh, there could be results there, but it's it, it's not really an offseason that really inspires confidence within the fan base. 
thinking about the signings that they made, Patrick Segrist is 10 out of 10, no notes, like one of the best defenders in the league. Everyone else maybe has question marks, and that's not what you want when you're signing a bunch of central midfielders who are 30 and showing it. You're signing players who couldn't get into the starting lineup with Sacramento when you're ostensibly trying to compete with Sacramento. You're signing a forward who never played for San Antonio. And then you sold your coach and your best three players, four players. Like, it's a really toxic mix. And I know they've brought back a couple talented guys. I do think their back line is probably underratedly good. And I like Herrera in goal. But the collection of everything they've done relative to the competition out West tells me that they're going to be on the bubble probably at best. Yeah, I I just don't – I don't understand. Um, my personal headcanon, and I said this I think last show, is that Colorado Springs is having to pay off the stadium, and this is just the only way they could they could find a way to do it. They're – you know, the city realized it cost a little bit more than they thought, and they were like, hey, you know, tis, tis, time to pay up. And they're like, oh, well, guys, sell the coach. Um, I that That's my personal headcanon. That's the only thing that makes sense. And, you know, the idea of regressing to the mean is it makes a lot of sense, you know, and some teams do that. I mean, we see this, and this is where we get into the, the pro rel, blah, 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 da, 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 da. Um, there are some teams that are just born in to be just a middling, mid-tier, middle-of-the-table club who will never be promoted and relegated ever because that's just where they live and that's how they'll die. Um, and maybe Colorado Springs is just regressing to being a mid-table team. But after you fly so high, I mean, talk about getting torched. And Andy, to answer your question, yeah, there is a pretty big disparity in the past from Colorado Springs playing at home and playing on the road. They had 10 wins at home last season, uh, which was more than what they had on the road. But of course, there's that split. One of the things that always kind of stuck out to me was their 2019 season where they had just one win away from home all year. (sighs) I mean, it's just ridiculous. Um, I want to fact check myself. Um, but I think is because Albu- I saw this and I read this somewhere that like Albuquerque is one of the higher altitude places in the country, um, possibly yeah. higher altitude than Colorado Springs. Maybe I know I Albuquerque is almost- high up. It's mountainous. Yeah. I wonder 300 for Albuquerque and it's nearly 6,000 to Colorado Springs. Okay. So never mind on that. But that's still a lot closer than you probably think it is because you think desert for Albuquerque. Um, but yeah, I I wonder if there is a, I wonder if it is a, um, if there's a correlation between those two teams too. If those two teams play each other better than anybody else, just some I've wondered. Um, but that's another time to talk about that. Um, I, if they don't if they don't start uh, Kyler Tate, aka the sub, one good time, this whole season's a loss and it was never worth playing. Um, I hope that poor kid never watches this show. <laughs> <laughs> I, if the moment he learns that he has an entire hour, hour and a half long episode dedicated to him and him alone, God bless him. 17 years old and you're already a legend. You're a folk hero <laughs> in the eyes of me. <laughs> John, 
who's your other loser because I stole two of your losers. <laughs> I know I'm struggling in that sense, but I think this one feels like maybe less of a loser and more of, I don't know what's going on. And that's going to be the Oakland roots. They lost, uh, I'm forgetting the name, Otar Carlson, the forward who nearly got the golden boot. Uh, Juan Azucar, who we referenced going to San Antonio. But they sold, I mean, they just they announced. Yeah, go ahead, go ahead. I was gonna say you say lose Oscar, but also he's been on. He's been in like lone yeah. hell. So I don't know if they were just chosen. Like I don't know what to do with him. <laughs> that whole thing, yeah. So he's been on loan from Venezuela to now three different USL teams with no end in sight. So go cover the league, King. I guess. But, <laughs> but Oakland, they announced Charlie Dennis coming back in the midfield and then sold him to Tampa like a week later. It's a lot of questionable moves, and the replacements haven't been that good. Napo Matsoso, like jack of all trades, Swiss Army knife for Louisville, never played more than like 10 games a season because they just had better players. They've signed a lot of young guys, basically no one over the age of 24. So they're young. They're kind of unproven. Most of their big names from last year are gone, and they were a bubble team to begin with. That feels like a sideways step at best. And so given what we've covered, I'm low on the roots. Yeah. I I don't know. I Like you, like you said, I don't want... I don't know what to do with them because I liked what they did at the end of last year. I really liked what I saw out of Oakland, but we've also said this for two years in a row, which if that means anything, their coach is going to be going to Phoenix next year. So congratulations on your move. But I I don't know what to, I don't know what to do with them. I want to believe in what they do. They're probably going to make themselves again into the playoffs because they're going to go on just a superhero run to end the season. Cause that's just what they do. But I, I don't know what to do with it. And I do want to say, I think that if you're projecting forward three or four years, they've made smart moves where they poached two U.S. youth nationals from San Jose. Uh, some of the players that they've got are young and high potential. But in the immediate sense, I think that they're a pretty clear loser to date. Big winner, Project five, uh, 510. Yeah. Um, <laughs> major winner, major winners. Um, Ryan, you got finish it. us off. Yeah, I guess I'll go. Uh, maybe it's controversial, or maybe it's just a different type of team building that they're going after. But New Mexico United, just to me, it's kind of been an interesting offseason. I mean, you're bringing back people like Greg, or, or you're bringing in people like Greg Hurst. You have Santi Mar coming back in, but it seems like it's just it and a team that like was in the middle of the pack for the playoff teams, 51 points, fifth in the West last year. It just, it seemed like it's a, a team that you would expect kind of being in that middle of the pack. You want to take that next step kind of moving forward and not just kind of stay where they are, potentially regress it. Almost, it seems like New Mexico is going to be turning into those early Bobbley Pittsburgh teams where they're like, yeah, solid playoff team but they're not going to be any more than just a solid playoff team. And when you have someone like a San Antonio, who's likely going to be kind of running the West for the next few seasons, or at least for this next season, it seems like something that New Mexico would kind of want to try and approach or try and differentiate, differentiate themselves moving forward. One of the things that does benefit them 
next season is to at least start out the year where their first five games is uh, Miami, uh, sorry, the Miami, Oakland, Monterey Bay, San Diego, and Colorado Springs, which is favorable enough for them to kind of start the season. But it just, it seems like it's a club that is still going to be a playoff team, but it doesn't expect to be one that improved to what we all thought they should be improving, especially for that fan base. I mean, when you talk about just the fan base, I mean, this is a team that uh, for what, how many years in a row has led the league in attendance. Um, and I get, yeah. you don't necessarily want to be attendance FC, but also, I mean, what they're doing with that attendance in a baseball stadium, the lab is a, a fun place, but also it's awful um, when it comes to actual footy on the pitch. And they're just, they were awful at home last year awful you could chalk them up for a loss every time they played at home uh i just it really it really sucks seeing what they're doing because i don't know what they're doing you know i gave bob Lee a lot of shtick for not being able to do whatever he could with dane kelly i mean if you're talking another established striker we saw them just waste nico brett too i i really don't know what new mexico did last year and they didn't improve this year i think that's a great shout with uh new mexico not only did they waste nico oh go ahead go ahead i was just gonna say and kaylor you are correct they had uh, seven wins away from home last year compared to six at home crazy but not only did they waste nico brett they've pretty quietly cut six forwards that they had from last year and these are like kavan freighter Jerome Kisavetter, Preston Tabuetataka, players who have had success in the USL. So blame it on the system, blame it on a midfield that is playing way too many defensive midfielders all the time. They've just not added anything that is really impressive. I mean, Moar and Hurst you referenced, and then it's a lot of unproven pieces. Well, I mean, it's two unproven pieces besides that. They've really just run back a team that was mediocre and then played the hits with Santi Moar and got Greg Hurst, who was okay in Phoenix, but not what we thought he was going to be coming out of Omaha. So are they a playoff team? Kind of by default, just because that's the quality of this team. Did they make an attempt to go anywhere else with that squad? Not whatsoever. I mean, this was a playoff team that got bounced pretty easily by Sacramento in the first round, 2-0 defeat. Yeah. They're talented enough to get back there, but I just wanted more ambition, I think, with getting into year two with Zach Prince at the helm. Yeah, no kidding. Um, So we've talked about a lot of winners and a lot of losers. Um, Anybody who has has been around, who has seen the USL show uh, Twitter, we are very adamant that the USL is the biggest league in the world. and I'd say right now the USL is majorly winning right now. Um, we're a little biased. But, you know, Nathaniel Poku, again, signed by... I was going to bring uh, this up at the end. This uh, is the craziest thing. Leicester by Leicester City. But we didn't get a chance to talk about it. And I feel like there's a bigger signing that happened that did not get any love, and I am sick of it. Jade Riviere getting signed out of W League to Manchester United just getting dropped right into the women's super league or yeah, super league. Um, It's just, 
See, I always get the Super League confused now because I remember the other Super League that was happening in Europe, and I'm like, oh, God, which one is it? Um, but getting this into is the, the one that is isn't morally corrupt. Yeah. Uh, well. Um, <laughs> Rel- relatively. <laughs> but Jade, but Jade Riviere getting signed and who is now Manchester United's 14, uh, going from AFC Ann Arbor to Manchester, that's an incredible pickup, not only just for the USL, just in general, but like W League, majorly. Um, Super League getting on, you know, the Premier League morning. Huge. Mm-hmm. Oh, and by the way, Detroit City put two sisters straight into Liga MX a couple of days ago. No big deal. Um, the USL has been pumping out talent and sending it abroad like crazy these last couple weeks, these last couple months and getting on the big stage. And that is such a major win for this league that, you know, it's okay to be a selling league. That's how a lot of leagues stay afloat. And being able to tell players and show players that they can go abroad. Um, there's a couple of players right now who are currently on trial in Benfica. A USL players who are on trial in Benfica right now. Uh, one of them's looking at getting a pretty nice little transfer fee for. So... Major, major stuff coming out of the league right now. I mean, when you have Fabrizio Romano tweeting about uh, a league move from Syracuse to Leicester, that's just a really huge kind of, it's a huge scale for the league to kind of move forward. I, I mean, you could probably search his entire tweets. That's probably the first time he's ever tweeted Syracuse University <laughs> in his entire arsenal of, of 23,000 tweets. Well, this guy was playing, uh, Nathan Apoku was playing games at a neutral site at Des Moines Menace's home stadium for Ventura County Fusion like four months ago. And now he plays for Leicester City. That's incredible. And it speaks to, I think, everything that this league is doing correctly. I mean, most of the U.S. men's national team played in the PDL slash League Two. This is just what teams do. A lot of the uh, MLS Super Draft or whatever it's called is USL League Two players. They won't tell you that, though. Um, And, (laughs) you know, like I said, we have a lot of players going abroad from W League, and we're going to get it a lot in 2024, as was recently announced, um, with Super League. Um, We're seeing a lot of movement. And it's really exciting. Like I said, we're about we're probably going to see, and I guess the transfer deadline's closed, but you know, we're probably going to start seeing a lot of arrangements to sell very, very soon for at least one player in the championship, possibly two, um, with Benfica and other teams across Europe. It's going to be insane. And that's how you prove yourself of how do you bet on yourself as a young player? Go to the USL because they will sell you. So, yeah, super pumped about that. Um, any other winners, losers, just in general? No? I think we're probably – I think I've got it covered with teams I feel strongly about. Yeah. Uh, Chattanooga is winning and losing. <laughs> um, off the field, they're, they generally lose a lot off the field, but also – um, they did bring in Republic uh, Mensa, who I'm a big fan of, but also their entire roster is like gutted. So I don't know what they yeah. are. Yeah. Um, uh, we'll see. Yeah. League wins chaos. Uh, 
John, I, I want to ask for your final thoughts, but I, I know you're probably just going to say that you've been watching The Last of Us. I mean, I yeah, I didn't have anything specific in mind, so that was probably going to be my default. But the third episode of The Last of Us was so good. I cried and cried and cried. And I'm not, a, I'm not like a TV crier at all, but I mean, Nick Offerman just did it to me. So I, I started playing the game again and I forgot how much like that first opening that it's not, I guess it's not a scene, but like that first opening, the cold open is just, Oh my God. <laughs> it's just great stuff, man. Like it, even if you aren't, if you don't consider yourself someone who's into zombie shows or whatever, that's not the point of what's happening. So much of it is an emotional story, a relationship story. So that's the endorsement. Yeah. Anything else going on for you? Um, hoping to have a dry bathroom within the next couple of days. And that's my life goal. <laughs> Small life goal, I guess. Small life goal. <laughs> Ryan, how about you? What's going on, man? Uh, not much. I have a, a really cool article that I've been working on in the past of a, a football manager experiment that I'm uh, looking forward to publishing probably tomorrow. But um, yeah, I thought it was a really cool experiment that I ran in the game this year, and I'm looking forward to seeing everyone's reactions. But uh, other than that, just um, I guess in terms of movies i've watched a ton recently i guess uh i went through a lot of the wes anderson uh filmography i saw uh the french that. dispatch last week which was pretty good i saw grand budapest hotel a few weeks ago which was a really delightful film especially because i saw that prior to watching the menu so that was the grand budapest hotel was a really good ralph and ease um palette cleanser compared to seeing him in the menu but both were fantastic films so yeah just kind of been going through a few movies and everything Love that. Um, let's see. For me, um, I've been trying to avoid um, this ProRel versus Wrexham versus everything Twitter as much as I possibly can. Um, I've, I've realized that it's not good for my mental health, um, and I should not be involved with that. John decided to go all the way in on that. <laughs> I just... This is just like I was walking out the door to go do something else. I tweet this stupid thing like Wrexham wouldn't make the USL playoffs. And it's got like hundreds of thousands of views on Twitter. And it's like by far the biggest thing I've ever done. And it's the lowest effort, dumbest thing I've ever done. And it ruined my mentions for days. You know, I and every time I mention it, someone always goes and looks at it and shares it. So I'm already preparing for that. Um, my until very very recently uh, my highest uh viewed article was a one word article um after the legion <laughs> loss of tormenta that just simply said the word pathetic and it for almost a year was my most viewed article and you know what i was beyond angry that my my half second article that i wrote published and then forgot about while it's fuming had more had more views than anything else I did that had a lot of effort. I'm stupid. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's see. For for me personally, um, uh, I get to see. I'm going up to see um my fiance for the first time in like two and a half months. Uh, next week. So super excited about that. Uh, miss her super bad. So super happy. Super excited. 
um wedding planning does suck uh i don't recommend it at all um just just do it don't plan it uh, just go with the flow bro uh, <laughs> um and let's see i normally music um i've been weirdly into Haydn lately but um i will say and this is not a new artist by any means but with um with black history month starting tomorrow i want to go ahead and do a big shout out for one of my favorite um african-american composers um, and that's Florence Price, a uh, female African-American composer. If you like Bruckner, this is like Bruckner, but a better. Um, listen to The Oak. It's like 14 minutes long. Really good stuff. It's, yeah, uh, Florence Price. Look up any of her music. But The Oak is just chef's kiss. Sucks to play, though, if you're playing third horn because it's nonstop and you get tired. Um, but good piece of music. But Anything else? Anybody else? And uh, wedding planning is not electric. And I want you all to know that you're bullying me with the word electric. I have actively fought to remove that from my vocabulary. As I'm sure the wedding will be electric. Uh, God, I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> I really hope so. <laughs> but thank you all so much for listening. Thank you all so much for watching. Um we're super excited to see uh, the trialists, um, see which trialists score, which trialists don't score. Trialists are going to win the league. Um, thank you all so much for watching and listening. And if he hasn't been here and we can't wait till he comes back, but Alan, cue us out. Thank you for watching another episode of the USL show. This and every episode is brought to you by the Beautiful Game Network. Find podcasts and other written work at bgn.fm. Once again, thanks for stopping by, and we'll see you guys again next week.